Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome along to this week's We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Coming up this week, uh, lots of films to get through. Where the Crawdad Sings is one of the big films playing in cinemas this weekend. We'll be reviewing that. Plus, we'll have a roundup of all the big movie stories from the week. And we're going to look ahead to next year and find out what are some of the main films you need to know about. So that's all coming up very shortly on We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. You are listening to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden and I'm joined by Chris Wasser, Andy McCarroll and Olivia Fahey. We're now going to take a look at some of the new releases, one of which is the big one that's playing in cinemas this weekend, Where the Crawdads Sing, the uh, adaptation of the very successful novel of the same name. Daisy Edgar Jones stars in it. That is coming up very shortly. But first, a film that was released last week that we didn't get to is Persuasion, which is the Jane Austen adaptation, which has come under an awful lot of fire. Dakota Johnson stars in this one. It's got a great cast all around. Uh, Richard E. Grant is in there as well. And uh, I think a lot of the Austen fans feel this has done a bit of a disservice because it tries to go down a bit of a more like a flea bag route. Anyway, to talk more about it, Chris, you've seen it. What is going on with the plot? Because I think some Austin fans feel that this is one of her most personal pieces of work, uh, uh, Persuasion. Uh, they do. Yeah, it's also her final completed novel. Um, and there's something, you know, almost untouchable about it because, uh, uh, you know, there were other works afterwards that weren't quite finished. But Persuasion is, is also one of the, the uh, Austin stories that we don't often see on screen. I think we had a TV version before with Kieran Hines, which is definitely worth a watch. Um, but plot wise, I mean, the, the you know, the, the pieces remain in their usual places. If you've ever seen or read Persuasion before, you know, you have Anne Elias uh, in this version portrayed by Dakota Johnson. And she is madly in love with uh, this handsome sailor fellow named Frederick Wentworth, who is uh, played by Cosmo Jarvis. The only problem is he's nothing in his pockets. And in terms of future prospects, they're, they're kind of slim. So his fam- her family do everything they can to split them up and they're successful. So she spends then the next eight years, you know, pining for this lost love. But, you know, it's an Austin tale. So obviously there's going to be a second chance for, you know, these lovers to reunite. And that arrives in the form of uh, some very convenient circumstances where uh, Anne's dad, uh, Sir Walter Elias, uh, uh, played by Richard E. Grant, who's just having a ball here. He has spent all the family's money. They're completely broke and they're going to have to reluctantly rent out their gaff to this prestigious admiral. And as it turns out, the admiral, uh, 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 Frederick Wentworth, has actually been working for this admiral and it, and he is married to Frederick's sister, if, if, if I haven't confused matters there. So they're all going to come together again. Anne's going to see Frederick for the first time in eight years. And you're thinking to yourself, well, they're obviously going to, you know, reconnect. Uh, unfortunately, there are some other prospects in the way. You know, we have Henry Golding as a handsome plot twist. You know, Frederick's uh, eye is also on someone else. So we're basically going to watch these two dance around one another for two hours, pretending that they aren't completely infatuated with one another. Right, so we're in sort of very familiar Austin territory there. Before yeah. we find out what you thought of it, here is a little bit from Persuasion, which is currently playing on Netflix. I almost got married once. There were no two souls more in rhythm than Wentworth and I. And I was persuaded by my family to give him up. My father. Exquisite jawline. He's never met a reflective surface he didn't like. And my sisters. I'm just too kind, Anne, that's my problem. I give all of my attention to others and then I suffer for it. 
Where are your children? How should I know? I would have been a far happier woman in keeping him than I have been in giving him up. It's been seven years. Eight. Darling, at some point, you have to move on. So there is a little bit from Persuasion starring Dakota Johnson, Henry Golden, Cosmo Jarvis, Richard E. Grant, stellar cast in there. Well, there's an awful lot of Austin fans that aren't particularly happy with the, the direction that this film has taken. Chris, um, this film, it kind of breaks the fourth wall, that sort of inner monologue. Yeah. Then it, it kind of becomes very front and center with the way this is handled. And some Austin fans just don't like almost this modern twist that's put on this particular version of Persuasion. They almost feel like it's uh, it wants to be Fleabag. I don't know if that's a, a fair comparison now, but yeah. it, it just I don't know. It seems to kind of gotten under people's skin and um, it, it's not the, the adaptation people were hoping for, it seems. Well, it's so funny that it got under people's skin before anyone had a chance to watch it. Uh, the you know, the, the level of criticism thrown towards that two minute trailer was just unreal. Uh, and it almost seems as though the idea there was that, oh, this is Jane Austen. It can't be toyed with. You know, you can't modernize Jane Austen. Oh, that's that's bull. I mean, it's it's almost as though we're just forgetting about the Anya Taylor-Joy version of Emma a couple of years ago. Was that, uh, is that Emma full stop or something like that? That was Emma full when... stop, which was almost <laughs> which was almost, you know, universal. And everyone involved in that film telling us this is a different version of Emma. And it was, uh, you know, it was just uh, a candy colored coated uh, version of Emma that, you know, try, like slightly kind of contemporized uh, uh, the, the, the story and the, the characterization, but, you know, but, but was still true to, to the novel. So maybe Austin fans were like, oh, you know, you can go a little bit modern with it. But if we're going to stick, if, if we're going to remain in the 18th or 19th century, you know, it has to be close to what the book is. It seems as though there, there are rules there that I wasn't aware of. I mean, like, for, for example, the best um, Austin adaptation uh, uh, in my opinion, is is clueless uh, again based on Emma, but maybe you know the 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 love around that film is because they completely modernized it, they completely took it out of the nineteenth century and put it in a modern setting. I'm not sure what the rules are, but I'm again I'm going to call ball on them. I think the big problem here is that maybe some people don't like that they've gone flea bag with it. Some people don't like that they've kept it in the nineteenth century but updated some of the dialogue. I'm not really sure, but whatever the case. This is not as bad a film as everyone says it is. I think everyone just needs to calm down here. Yes, there is a bang flea bag office. You do have Anne Elliott breaking the fourth wall. You do have her kind of winking at the camera. Uh, you know, there's a really dramatic stare down at one stage when she's reading out this, this uh, you know, tear-stained love letter from Frederick. Um, you do have her, you know, she has a pet, bu- uh, a pet bunny. She does drink wine out of the bottle. She is, you know, she's an Austin version of flea- Phoebe Waller-Bridge's uh, uh, flea bag. Um, but I, I, I quite liked all of that. And I also thought there are, there are scenes in here that are supposed to be awkward, that are supposed to be, that where, where the characters know they're doing things that are completely out of sync with you know the setting that they're in. So I feel as though maybe it's a little bit unfair that just because some of the jokes are going over people's heads, you know, some people have decided, well, you know, this is just, it, it, it's intentionally bad, it's, or it's unintentionally bad. No, 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 I actually think this is, this knows exactly what it's doing. You know, in terms of the, the, uh, uh, the overall tone though, some actors, uh, seem to be in different films fr- from others, but that's okay because, and I know I'm, I'm, it, it almost seems as though, you know, I'm saying, uh, oh, it's, it's, it's watchable, oh, but also it's poor, but it's good in this area, but also it's bad in this area. It is a bit of a mixed bag, but I think it's the performances that kept me on side here. I thought Richard E. Grant was, was, was fantastic. He's having a great time. He sort of thinks he's, you know, in a, in a Blackadder sort of setup, but that's okay. He's, he's fantastic. Uh, you, you have Henry Golding and Cosmo Jarvis kind of, you know, going up against one another for, for, for Anne's heart. They're very good together. But Dakota Johnson, 
she's very good here. Uh, you know, she, it's a confident, uh, uh, a compelling turn. Uh, she's very funny. Her accent is spot on. And she does this whole breaking the fort wall and narrating the piece and kind of, you know, walking you through the whole tale very well. So I, I like this. I, you know, it is flawed. It is a bit too stagey at times. It's a very peculiar film, but it's never boring. And if this was on on a Sunday afternoon, and if this is how I passed my time for a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon, I'd say it's, you know, time well spent. All right. So let's get a score then out of 10, Chris, then for Persuasion, which is playing on Netflix. I have seen worse on Netflix, Gordon. So I'm going to go with six out of 10. Well, that's the thing with Netflix. It's a lot of quantity over quality. Yeah. There you go. Six out of 10. Not a bad score there for Persuasion. Uh, the Jane Austen adaptation, which you can check out now on Netflix, as I mentioned. And uh, next up, Where the Crawdads Sing. It's based on a hugely successful novel. Uh, Daisy Edgar Jones. A lot of people are kind of nearly waiting for that hit film for her uh, off the back of normal people. Will this be it? Before we talk about it, here's just a little bit from Where the Crawdads Sing. There's no fingerprints on the railing, grades, nothing. No fingerprints? Being isolated was one thing. Being hunted, quite another. You didn't see me here. The Marsh girl, she killed him. I know you have a world of reasons to hate these people. No, I never hated them. They hated me. They harassed me. Oh, they never did see. You want me to beg for my life? I won't. They're not deciding anything about me. In spite of everything, trying to stomp it out, life persists. Way out yonder, where the crawdads sing, the marsh knows one thing above all else. So there is a little bit from Where the Crawdads Sing. I have to be honest with you, I've never read the book and I'm very much in the dark in terms of the plot. Andy, what's going on here um, story-wise? Is this a kind of a romantic thriller? I don't know, what, what sort of ballpark are we in first? It's a thriller that doesn't seem to enjoy There's a thriller element to it. It's more of a kind of a romance story. It tells the story of two timelines of a young girl named Kyla. She grows up very isolated in a, at the marsh of North Carolina. And the second one is kind of set in modern day where there's been apparently a murder of you know, the famous town, Foster, which she is then accused of. And it's kind of telling the story of you know, how we came to, to be here and where the stories dovetail. It, it's basically the notebook meets, you know, L.A. law sort of thing would be the best way to describe it. That's, that's a great comparison. Olivia, Daisy Edgar Jones. She's front and center here. But from what Andy's been saying, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot. It seems like there's about three films vying for attention here. And how does she manage to straddle all that? So I was actually really impressed. I went in like yourself. You had no idea what's going on in the film before going in to see it. And I actually found it really compelling. And especially Daisy's performance. She has this quiet um ability to really hold your gaze even though she's probably not really doing much she might not even be looking like the camera might not even be focusing on her but you're still like paying attention to what she's doing she just has that presence on screen in my opinion that you're just so drawn to and it's the characters are almost kind of similar to her one in normal people in a very very loose way in that they're both kind of shy and timid um but kaya is is definitely a, a different character and she 
just I, there's just no, not enough words in the world for me to say just how much I enjoyed her performance and um, like the book itself because I went to see the film with someone who'd actually read the book so they were able to fill in some of the gaps for me um, so the book itself actually goes into a lot more detail on the ecology around the, the swamp so that's almost like its own little subplot in itself so what the filmmakers tried to do was essentially cover that a little bit but not let us take over the storyline. They're focusing more on the the people and the the plot points there as opposed to everything else that was going on in the book. So I can kind of see where Andy's coming from where like there's a couple of different storylines coming in. But personally, I actually thought that the little interjections that they did with the the bit of like the, the animals and the the swamp life and things like that, I actually enjoyed that because it kind of like just made it a little bit more different to your average murder mystery uh, it's not a thriller. It was never advertised as a thriller, Andy. Oh, it absolutely was. Was it? Oh, it, abso- oh, it absolutely, absolutely was. is. Yeah. I never got that from any of the. It the literally intro. says it on the trailer. Oh, <laughs> the does trailer, it say the, the, th- the thriller of the year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I take that back. <laughs> yeah, like Olivia says, that aspect of it is. I, I did enjoy that. The kind of the the geography of the situation was was absolutely beautiful. It's shot really, really well, but it really feels like it was they had this part of it and they were trying to pitch that and went that's not quite interesting enough on its own and then yeah. panicked and went oh, oh there's a murder as well and the thing is if you took the whole murder story out of it it makes zero difference to the film like if you literally top and tail took out that murder plot edited the film with just the love story and the kind of the, the love triangle and seals it's a far better film and it loses nothing of it and it would enhance the film it just seems like it's something that was thrown in that they didn't want to do uh, Chris, just bring you in on this. Is, it, is this a bit of a muddled type of film in terms of what they wanted to bring to the screen? Can you feel from watching it that there's maybe too many cooks at work here uh, behind the scenes and the film has maybe kind of lost its way a little bit in the edit room? That's what I'm picking up. It may be a bit muddled mess. There, There is uncertainty here, it seems, in terms of what film everybody involved was trying to make. Uh, and to mention everybody involved, you know, like this film does arm itself with, you know, a top-notch team of creative A-listers. I mean, you've got... No- Normal people, Stacey Edgar Jones in there, who is just a fantastic performer. And this film is very lucky to have her, even if it's not great. You know, her turn here is very strong. She's she's too good for this. You've got Reese Witherspoon, um, whose uh, book club endorsement actually propelled Owens' novel into the stratosphere. You know, that that it, it helped us, you know, uh, sell 12 million copies, you know, in, in turn, you know, making it one of the best-selling novels of all time. And then you've even got, like, Taylor Swift, who says she loved the book, who was asked to compose an original song for the film. So that's an awful lot of heavy hitters in the room. I know Taylor Swift is not got anything to do with the story but there's a big push behind this and it opened in america actually last week and actually you know uh it's 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 doing very well i think there were expectations for it to open to something like 10 million but it opened to 70 million at the box office which is very good for a film like this it certainly has its fans Uh, but i will say i don't the setup there that the guys mentioned, it is enthralling, you know, and there, there is a good story in here, but I haven't read the novel. So I can't say if it, you know, if on paper Delia Owens develops the world a bit better because on the screen, something's gone wrong. And it is an entirely surface level drama that just seems absolutely terrified of expanding upon any of its best ideas. I mean, there is a, like the, the, the most, the most interesting part of this story is the is the is the murder aspect where a young woman has been charged with the murder of her former lover in 1960s America and she's already an outcast and he is you know the the, the football star in town he's a bit of a boyo everybody loves him there's you know there there are questions of class there as well and 
that that is fascinating. You would think that the director Olivia Newman and the screenwriter Lucy Albert that they would lean into that. Instead, Gordon, they they run a mile from it, and I think that the that that ends up you, what what you end up with then is this you know underpowered, murky, confusing, and just wildly implausible exhibition. I mean, it's it's like again, you know, just to to, uh, to, to talk about what Andy was uh, mentioned about how you know you could remove the murder story and 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 you'd still all you're left with is really kind of this Nicholas Sparks esque yarn where you know this uh young woman has uh one boyfriend one minute and then another the next minute and then the two of them are kind of fighting this is nothing to do with 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 the murder it's it's very disappointing and every also as well this when it, when it does eventually you know eventually get back to the courtroom scenes they're very underdeveloped they're they're way too stagey they're way too simplistic uh the supporting characters only exist around Kaya to kind of tell her why she's sad why she's happy why she's angry and also this bothered me okay i don't know if it bothered anyone else but we're supposed to believe that the townsfolk of barclay cove cove which is where you know everyone's from uh, in north carolina that they're repulsed by this you know marsh girl and it's almost as though you know she's this legendary hideous figure on the outskirts of town when what we really have is an undeniably and conventionally beautiful uh white woman who is effortlessly charming when everybody meets her and is so talented. And I mean, you only have to spend five seconds in her company to know that there's something very special about this person. So I wasn't really buying this whole thing that everyone was so repulsed by her, despite the fact that she's the outsider. Oh, she lives in, in the swamp. You know, we hate her. I wasn't buying that. Was anyone else? I, I was missing, you know, a hairy armpit or hairy legs. I will say that because there was no way that she would have known like common grooming of the ages, you know, the kind of thing. So let's get scores out of 10 before we move on to movie news. Andy, what are you thinking about Where the Crawdads Sing? I'm going to go with five out of 10. Like I said, Daisy Edgar Jones was fantastic. David Strait was just playing Atticus Finch in it, but there is some absolutely god-awful Hallmark acting. Harris Dickinson as Chase Andrews looks like he powers down when he's not speaking, and it's very distractingly bad. It's the Joey Tribbiani school of acting. <laughs> <laughs> It, it looks good. Like there is a good film in there, which is really frustrating. But unfortunately, it's not what the one they put on the screen. So it's five out of ten for me. So five out of ten for Andy, Olivia. I think you're the one who would be more, uh, more up for a crawdad's uh, sing more than the lads. Uh, what are you giving it? I'm going to give it a seven. I did enjoy it. I'd probably go and and see it again. It like there were. I think what the lads say is like, oh, like just take out the murder plot and you've got like a romance. Like, but the murder plot is literally the focal point of the whole story. That's why the book was written with all of these other things sort of going on around it. So I don't agree with take it out. So I'm I'm giving it a seven because I enjoyed it. This one's really not doing it for me, if I'm being honest with you, in terms of what I'm hearing. But I'd be more fascinated in the author's real life because there's a very murky story surrounding uh, her and what went on in Zambia. Uh, Chris, um, just finally to you then, where the crawdads sing, what are you giving it out of 10? I think it's 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 a lovely looking film. There is something special here. I hadn't read the novel. So in the first 10 minutes, I thought, you know what, we're getting into some Stephen King uh, territory here where you know this body's been found in the marsh and all of these characters are kind of you know uh, uh running around the place and we're not really sure who 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 did it and we're oh we're going to get some background the childhood oh, all is not right in this town what's 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 going on here and then it just completely abandoned that and again instead of Stephen King we got Nicholas Sparks and that's a bad day uh so Edgar Jones is terrific she deserves a better film around her and I think we did too so I'm gonna have to go with four out of ten Oh, four out of ten for Where the Crawdads Sing. That is from Chris. Now we're going to move on to Brian and Charles, which looks like this really lovely mockumentary, uh, which is currently playing in select cinemas. Before we talk about it, here is a clip. You'd like me to give you a name? Tony? Charles? 
Charles. <laughs> Charles? Charles. You like that name, do you? Hello, Brian. Hello, Charles. It's lovely to meet you. This is incredibly overwhelming. Imagine me and you, I do. I never thought I'd make anything as amazing as Charles. You built my body. I built his body. And my tummy is a washing machine. And his tummy is a washing machine. So happy together. Keep showing to people. Why not? And what you want for him? Oh, he's not for sale. Why are you wearing that? I feel pretty cool, man. I want to go on an adventure. Everything is lovely. It's not all lovely. Stay down, boy. There's a big old world out there. The big perilous world. Oh my gosh. Okay. What was that? So there is a little bit from Brian and Charles, this really kind of DIY style mockumentary about a very eccentric, lonely wannabe inventor who creates a robot as company. Andy, you check this one out. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, like I said, it's done like a, a mockumentary, essentially. It follows Brian. It's set in Wales. He's supposed to be this inventor. Like, just to give you an example of what type of inventions, he tries to make a flying cuckoo clock so everyone in the town will know the time. It immediately catches fire, which you know gives the, the, the level of his skill in there. He finds a mannequin head, which looks suspiciously like Jim Broadbent, and a washing machine and decides to make a robot. It's one of them, if you look at like the poster and you see this, like, you know, he's got a, a washing machine for a tummy in Jim Broadbent's head. You think this is going to be the stupidest thing you've ever seen. It might be my film of the year so far. It is just incredibly goofy, incredibly touching. It's, you know, it's about loss. It's about family. It's about children. And you just look at it and you get so much from it. And there's scenes in this where, you know, the, not to spoil anything, where Charles seems and like he's in a bit of danger. And you are just almost covering your eyes. You're just like, it's like watching a puppy getting kicked. You're just like, please, please, no, leave the chap alone. It has one of the best bully performances I've ever seen in anything. And again, it's just something, it's just a nice film, like you said, Gordon. It's one of those ones where it's just like, you know, it's got a, a start, middle and an end. It's a very brisk, you know, it's a 80 minute long film. So, you know, it's not going to, it's not a bladder buster movie. It's just whimsical it's lovely it's incredibly touching i had a, a tear in my eye and a smile on my face for pretty much the entire film i can't recommend it enough i absolutely loved it now this is my type of movie all around i believe it started as a short film but um what they've done is they've really expanded upon it and they kind of added in that bully element to give it i think a little bit more peril to charles which sounds great the additions that they've added in seem to really work from what you're saying here, Randy. Does it have almost a Ricky Gervais style to it? I, I don't. That's what I was picking up from watching the trailer, that there kind of almost has, not that he's involved in it, but it, it, it feels like something he would nearly produce or he would be like an executive producer on board. I don't, I think a lot of that is because, yeah, you know, Brian, the, the main actor, he's from Afterlife. I just think it, it doesn't have that kind of cynicism that a lot of Ricky Gervais stuff has. I'm trying to think of a, a more... You know, it's a, it's a softer thing than, than a Ricky Gervais um, okay. TV show. Now, I haven't seen Afterlife. Maybe Afterlife is like that, but it, it just doesn't have that, you know, nastiness to it that a lot of Ricky Gervais. There's, there's, people aren't the butt of the jokes in this. They're kind of, they're in on the jokes themselves. And you just touched on like some of the areas that it covers, Andy, but themes that are at play in here, obviously one is, is friendship, but uh, loneliness, is that a big part of it? It is. Like the whole reason he has invented this robot is because he's, you know, really isolated, especially, you know, being in Wales. He has like a kind of a, uh, not even a romance. He's got this friendship with uh, a girl in the town before her mother thinks Brian is a bit of a weirdo and doesn't want anything to do with him. 
but it just it, it, you could one of them films where you can watch and you can take anything from it you know it's about loneliness it's about family it's about raising kids you see you know charles essentially torn into this you know moody teenager at points during the show where you know you're, he's going off and trying to you know explore and doesn't want to be stuck in with his dad it's it, it's, it's a kind of film where you know 10 people can watch it and 10 people can come away thinking completely different things of it but at the end of the day the, the jokes are funny it's touching. It's incredibly well made. It looks beautiful. You can tell they have you know zero budget to make this, but everything is up there on the screen, and you can tell just that the love the filmmakers had and the actors had that they just its heart and soul are poured onto the screen. Ah, oh, great stuff, Andy. What are we giving this out of ten? I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. I absolutely adored it. It's it's going to be up there for my best of the year, definitely. Oh, excellent stuff. Nine out of 10 for Brian and Charles. Do check it out. It is playing in select cinemas. Not sure of a date yet when it's going to be released uh, for um, for rent, but uh, definitely check it out if it is playing at your local. Uh, now, finally, we're going to touch on The Grey Man. If you were listening to last week's show, you, you'll be like, but you already covered that. But it was playing in select cinemas, you see, last week. But now, this week, it is on Netflix for everyone to watch if you're a subscriber. Uh, Olivia, you had a chance to finally check it out. Last week, Chris's review wasn't the most glowing of, of reviews for The Grey Man. What did you think now? Because I've no interest, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Well, I because Chris hasn't actually liked a film in quite some time, I thought he was just venturing into the grumpy old man territory. And, um, well, I'm surprised to say I totally agree with him. It is... The biggest load of crap I have seen in a very, very long time. I didn't enjoy really any aspect of it. The acting was grand. Everybody was fine in it. They did what they could with what they had. Um, Chris Evans' moustache was probably the most interesting part of the film. It just has, it just seems like it has like no direction. Like they jump from city to city um, just with just carefree things. And you're just like, no, no, that's the, you couldn't possibly do that. It's like, oh, he gets to go in a uh, tuk-tuk van thingy um, from Bangkok to Chiang Mai in an overnight sort of drive. And you're like, no, that would not happen. That is not how this works. There's a moment where instead of fainting down a flight of stairs, Chris Evans decides to do a forward flip and lands on his back. And you're just like, if you got a trank in the ass, you would not be able to land on your arse with the thing still sticking into your butt cheek. Like, it's just, no, it is, it is like, none of it makes sense. Why was there a maze? <laughs> I know that means nothing to anybody else, but that was one moment that happened in the film that I just went, why is that there? That makes no sense. Stop that. It, none of it is. It's just not good. And I am so mad because I just wasted. Bring on Red Notice. I'd watch Red Notice again. That's how bad it was. Oh, my God. That's saying something. Andy, have you been uh, felt the compulsion to watch The Grey Man yet? The fact that Olivia said Red Notice is better and that's genuinely one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life just me I'm going to avoid this like the plague like you have Gosling and Chris Evans two of the most you know, charismatic actors on the planet and you can't get a tune out of them that's not good yeah <laughs> it's not good at all uh so even but what about the Russos though Olivia have they come up short here have they finally been exposed do you think to some degree it baffles me some of the choices that they made in terms of like the the shots that they wanted to get, the direction they wanted to some of the characters to go in. Um, like Joe has another cameo in this. He didn't need to have another cameo in this. So I I struggle with words because there's just so much rage building up in me. <laughs> I, I I remember messaging you all just to be like, you're going to need to bleep me out a lot during this because it's just a rant. 
Like there's no there's no direction that they have in this film. And like I all I can say about it is like there's just it's just a mess. It's a hot mess. Actually, no, it's not even a hot mess. It's just a mess. Okay, right. So Grey Man out of ten, please, Olivia. Uh two, if even. <laughs> it really oh god. It, it stinks. Oh, avoid. There you go. So it's on Netflix. <laughs> if you were thinking of spending the afternoon watching that, maybe you might want to reconsider it. Guys, thank you so much. That is our look at some of the new and current releases playing on streaming and in cinemas. Uh, that is our lot for part one of We Love Movies. But coming up in the second half, we'll have a roundup of some of the main movie stories from the week. And we're going to be casting our eye to some of the, the films of note, which will be playing next year. Because this year, the summer now is really kind of starting to wind down movie-wise. Nope and Bullet Train will be the last two big releases. But there's uh, so many films set for release next year. I will be getting into all of that right after the break. We love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Welcome back to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden. I'm joined as always by Andy McCarroll, Chris Wasser and Olivia Fahey. Movie news time now. All things Comic Con. We've got Dublin Comic Con returning to the convention centre, which is always very exciting. And um, that'll be happening in two weeks time. Um, starting from the 6th, two incredible days there. Lots of uh, big names that will be in attendance. One of which, Olivia, I'm very excited for is RoboCop himself, Peter Weller. I know. And when we were talking about it last week, I actually had to bite my tongue and stop myself from saying, it's like, oh, yeah, and he'll be in Dublin because we were waiting on the official go ahead to announce him. But yes, so after he he was scheduled to appear um, for Spring Edition 2020. And of course, you know, that one wasn't able to go ahead. Um, So finally, he's been rescheduled to be coming for um, Summer Edition now in August. And Andy is like a giddy little schoolboy because he is going to be hosting his Q&A on oh gosh I actually don't know when his Q&A is on whether it's the Saturday or the Sunday I'd imagine it's the Sunday because you know we they, they tend to put the bigger guests on on the Sunday but uh, yeah no it's going to be absolutely brilliant fun and I just can't wait to get it all kicked off again we had so much fun at spring edition so it should be much of the same now in summer great uh, Andy just on regard to chatting to Peter Weller I would love to know his thoughts. I'm sure you're going to be asking this anyway. Um, in regard to this, uh, it was a kind of long gestating sequel to RoboCop. Obviously, we've had RoboCop two and three, but you, but the plan is to do what they've done recently with Halloween and whitewash those sequels and have it the official RoboCop. And Neil Blomkamp on one stage was supposed to write and direct RoboCop Returns, and then he parted ways with the old creative differences. So. That seems to be up in the air, but an awful lot of the um, behind the scenes team were coming back for it. And there was talk that Peter Weller might even return. Now, I don't know if you'd see him back in the suit, but I wonder would he even lend his voice. I don't know if he's been vocal over the years about a, a follow up to RoboCop. Yeah, he mentioned in relation to the, the Neil Blomkamp version that he would be involved. He didn't say in what capacity. Like you said, I imagine he wasn't going to be the main RoboCop. Maybe this is, you know, RoboCop 3.0 that we was going to be the, the new version they would show he was the old you know obsolete one but he's someone who is just absolutely fascinating i'm doing a, a ton of research to go through he's actually dr peter weller to give him his uh, his proper title but he's one of them that has just popped up in absolutely everything you know 24 dexter buckaroo bonsai i'm very curious to hear what his thoughts are on the remake i imagine pretty much the same as ron perlman's was last year about uh the, the hellboy remake but it's, it's it's always good to hear someone trash absolutely <laughs> a remake of their work so that's that's going to be some fun 
Great stuff. And uh, also we have to mention, Olivia, that San Diego Comic Con, which is the mecca for Geek Pride stateside, that's happening this week. It is indeed. So Thursday to Sunday, the geeks descend on San Diego and take over the massive uh, convention centre that they have there down by the by the water. And oh, I think everybody has just been dying for another one to happen in person because the, the famous Hall H has been very lonely the last few years because they haven't been able to, to host an in-person event. And as a result, a lot of those big announcements that we've come to know and love from uh, an event like this just haven't really happened. They've all been just sort of like petered out throughout the year. Whereas like this weekend is when like everyone is literally by the computer <laughs> at God forbidden hours of the day just to be like, I want to see this trailer when it drops. So like there's a lot of stuff that we've that to unpack from the weekend. There's the Dungeon Dragons panel, um, which is uh, was Thursday, and they have even got like a little tavern that they've set up <laughs> there, so people can go and you know play some D and D or meet um, actually the artist from Australia, Boss Logic, who does a lot of those mashups uh, with Marvel and DC and things like that. He has like an exclusive um, launch there, and. Uh, Masters of the Universe had their 40th um, anniversary panel as well. So there was a lot, even just like from day one. There's the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. They had their full lineup of cast and crew in attendance. Marvel Studios got two panels, one on the Friday for animation, one on the Saturday, which, you know, like that's always the big one where all the big announcements come out. Um, Keanu Reeves' um, new comic, uh, Berserker, at least I think that's how it's pronounced, B-R-Z-R-K-R, I'm going to assume is Berserker, um, that they were chatting about that um, as well, uh, which apparently is getting a movie adaptation already. So that's uh, something to keep an eye out for. And, you know, the Block Saturday, Warner Brothers, Slate, House of the Dragon, Star Trek, like all of the shows, Picard, Lower Decks, uh, Strange New Worlds, all getting together. It's just jam-packed. Like, there's so much to talk about. I cannot wait um, just to see. And there's always some great surprises uh, as well. So San Diego Comic-Con um, happening this weekend. Loads of uh, virtual events as well that'll be, that you'll hopefully be able to see later today um, if you're listening to us on the Sunday. Um, just um, just finally, finally, just a reminder for Dublin Comic-Con tickets, Olivia, on sale, Convention Centre, Dublin Convention Centre, August 6th and 7th. Yep, tickets are on sale from the Dublin Comic Con website or they also use Tixer, T-I-X-R. Yeah, Dublin Comic Con, not to be missed. Do head along and get your tickets. It looks like it's going to be another standout convention. Now, let us move on and talk about films which will be set for release next year. I know we touched on a lot of the must-see films that are playing um, in uh, cinemas in 2022, but we thought we'd look ahead to next year this week because with all things COVID, it really disrupted an awful lot of the uh, film production schedule, which meant that there were an awful lot of movies that had to stall their production, which meant that it moved things forward. And that's why we're seeing at the moment there's real gaps in uh, the release schedule where some films, a big movie doesn't have any competition for two or three weeks, whereas next year they're going to be coming at us thick and fast. Chris, if I can start with you looking at the, the slate of movies, which are
on our way for next year. Does it give you much optimism? Yes and no. I mean, we're, we're seeing a glut of, you know, uh, remakes, reboots, uh, comic book movies like every other year. You know, we're going to see the, uh, the, the, the origins of Willy Wonka. I'm not sure anybody aside from the people actually making that film for a profit wanted to see an origins movie for Willy Wonka. We're going to see the, the final Guardians of the Galaxy film. There's going to be more from Marvel, more from DC. Uh, something that I'm particularly looking forward to, um, you know, and, 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 and we were burned by a, a couple of years ago is, is Chris Nolan's Oppenheimer. And the reason I'm especially looking forward to this is because Chris Nolan's best film, and I, I, I love Chris Nolan, but his best film is Dunkirk, which, you know, aside from, you know, the, the, the clever narrative uh, uh, structure where, you know, you had uh, scenes unraveling uh, in the space of a week, uh, a, a day and an hour at the same time, you know, it was pretty straight. It was a pretty straightforward kind of, you know, reconstruction of what it must have been like for the lads on that beach. Um, it, with, with Oppenheimer, we have another historical film that unless he is going to do something like, you know, have an atomic bomb go off and everybody, you know, ends up, you know, in, and, and the scenes end up playing out in the afterlife. I can't see how he's going to turn this into something like tennis. And that's a good thing because with tennis, I think Chris Nolan and everyone involved, they just disappeared up their own backside. So this is looking like it could be the film of 2023. You know, it could be an extraordinary blockbuster because Chris Nolan is one of the very few directors that can, you know, open a film like movie stars can or like Tom Cruise can. You know, people people show up to a Chris Nolan film in, in the same numbers that they do, they do for a Tom Cruise picture. So you've got uh, Killian Murphy playing Oppenheimer, who, uh, uh, as you know, was the director of the Los Alamos Lab, uh, heavily involved in the Manhattan Project and, you know, his contributions in science and everything that happened at the time led to the creation of the, uh, the atomic bomb. So you've got Killian Murphy perfectly cast, I think, as Oppenheimer. And also after, you know, what is it, 15 years, maybe even 20 playing, you know, the, the, the side character, you know, providing cameos, uh, uh, providing support in various Chris Nolan pictures, finally getting the lead. And then around him then, you just have a venerable who's who of just top-notch A-list talent. You've got Matt Damon in there. You've got Florence Pugh. Uh, Rami Malek, I can take a leave, but, you know, he, you know, he will put bums in seats. Robert Downey Jr. We mentioned earlier that all of these actors have agreed to take a pay cut and that they will receive, you know, four million for, as Andy said, you know, a couple of weeks of work on set. That's all they're going to be doing here. I think maybe Chris Nolan might be doing something where all of these characters, all of these actors, they are, you know, they have, some of the roles have been confirmed, but they're going to play historical figures who might float in and out of the life of Oppenheimer, who might float in and out of the Manhattan Project, you know, experiments. And then they'll be gone. So I think, you know, getting these high profile actors for four million, that's that that that's all they deserve for the few days of work that they're putting in. But anyway, getting back to the point, that for me is the big film that I'm really looking forward to. I think it might, you know, set Chris Nolan back on, you know, target. You know, it might kind of, you know, mm. rein in some of those indulgences uh, that we saw with tennis. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I thought tennis, all his worst characteristics seemed to come out in that film. Yeah. But he also felt like a director who had been given way too much uh um, freedom and I think it's for Warner Brothers I, I wonder what they ever want to do business with them again because they gave him his passion project well one of them given a number of his passion projects in fairness and yet, yet you know, of course he's had to keep the studio happy by making the Dark Knight movies at the same time but he got to make Inception he got to make Tenet that he probably wouldn't have had a chance to make with any other studio and then when he belittles HBO Max he decides that's it I'm out I, you kind of sometimes think you know shouldn't be biting the hand that feeds you um, so I'd be interested to see actually how Oppenheimer really does for him, because if it does not go the way he hopes, will Universal part ways with him? I'm, I'm sure another studio will want to do business with him. But at the same time, that will be two studios that will be uh, he'll have fallen out of favor with. Um, Andy, just to move on to you. 
any films from next year that stand out because my God, like, you know, Chris touched on like some of the sequels that we're getting, we're getting an Indiana Jones five or getting a fast and furious. Well, fast and furious 10, but also known as fast X. Um, there's like the Meg two, uh, Ben Wheatley is directing that one, which is going to be fascinating. We're getting a seventh mission impossible film guardians of the galaxy volume three. It's going to be wall to wall sequels. Is there any one that stands out? The one for me is mission impossible. This is the, the seventh film in the series. Now I'm rewatching them currently at the moment. And from where it started, this kind of, you know, spy Brian De Palma film to like, you know, the probably the best action franchise I've ever seen. It just defies logic. At how are they constantly getting better? And I think at the forefront, as we touched on earlier, it's just Tom Cruise being an absolute lunatic and really to like plow himself into a side of a building just to get a decent shot. I'm excited to see Kittredge coming back from the original. He hasn't been seen since the first film. We've got, you know, Simon Pegg, Ving Rhames returning. It just always seems to entertain. Like he, he, everything you think about Tom Cruise behind the scenes, I guarantee you, ten minutes into the pretty much every film I've seen with him, we just got, yeah, no, fair enough. This is he, he's he's given it hundred and ten here, and I'm interested to see how they end this series. It's it's Dead Reckoning Part One. It's just the first time they've kind of acknowledged there's going to be a lead off to this, and Dead Reckoning Part Two will apparently close off the series. So I'd be very curious to see how this ends. Will Ethan Hunt, Ethan Hunt get a, a happy ending? Will they try and squeeze Jeremy Renner back in to give him his franchise? I seriously doubt that. I'm very curious to see how they tie this all up because every time I've gone into a Mission Impossible, I thought, oh, this is going to be their, their Tokyo Drift moment where they just make it absolutely god-awful and it ends up being better than the previous film. So that I'm really looking forward to. Indiana Jones 5 as well. Speaking of coming to an end, we know John Williams is retiring after doing the, the score for this. He's done you know, Jurassic Park, Star Wars, pretty much every iconic score of the last 50 years has been done by him. But curiously as well, there's always been hints that this is Maybe Harrison Ford will be riding it off into the sunset after this as well. This will be his retirement movie. And I think if two of those you know, huge, most influential people in history are going to be riding off onto the back of this, it better be bloody good. Spielberg's, you know, the first one he's not directing. You've got James Mangold, who done Logan, gave Logan a, a fantastic end to that character, considering how kind of wishy-washy it had been over the previous films. You've got Mads Mikkelsen, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Antonio Banderas coming into this. I'm very curious to see what they do with this because you need to do a lot to just completely erase what Crystal Skull had done for that series. It pretty much, you know, Last Crusade was as perfect an ending as it mm. could have been. And then they just absolutely, you know, talking about trying to squeeze people into franchises like Shia LaBeouf as the new Indiana Jones. You're a lot of things, Shia LaBeouf. I can tell you something, you are no Harrison Ford. Oh, 100%. My one worry with Indiana Jones 5 is that production stalled for a little bit. Now they were saying that there's an injury to Harrison Ford, but there's also this worry that there's a time travel element. And I'm wondering, are some of the studio bigwigs, have they gotten a little bit nervous as to what they're seeing? And I know there are reshoots and they've, they've all finished at this point, but has there been massive drastic changes? Does any of that worry you, Andy? No, I, see, it's always been kind of one foot in the ridiculous. Like I know we had aliens in the last one, which is why it went too far, but like things like the Holy Grail and the night, like, if you see them on paper, they can sound ridiculous, but I don't know. I would kind of trust them to, if there is a time travel element to put it in a way where it kind of grounds it, if that makes sense. Like, you know, they had a knight living in a cave with, you know, the, the blood of, you know, the chalice of Christ in it. And at no point, I think this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It's like, no, this makes absolutely perfect sense. So I'm, I'm hoping it's kind of one of those things where it's only afterwards you go, wait, no, that was absolute madness. Where something like Crystal Skull, they didn't 
they didn't play by the rules that they'd set up. And that's why when you know, aliens and Crystal Skull showed up, it didn't look in place at all. Mm. But in something like Glass Crusade, it, you know, it was told in a way that you know, it, it looked realistic, as realistic as a night living, drinking the blood of Christ can be. <laughs> um, just finally, finally, Olivia, for you, what are you looking forward to seeing next year? Throwing aside the fear of sounding like a typical girl, I'm so looking forward to the Barbie movie. Like, come on, it looks absolutely <laughs> bonkers and I just can't wait to see what actual do you know what I don't even care what the plot is I'm still going to go and enjoy it and just look at you know the glory that is those 80s workout gear that we've seen um, dotted around the internet on the big screen it's, I think like the costume designer has done an absolutely brilliant job of taking you know Barbie clothes and put them onto the big screen it just makes me laugh and I'm just so curious to see what way it's actually going to all go down I'm so excited but I think as well, the fact that you've got Greta Gerwig, um, who wrote and directed uh, Lady Bird with Saoirse Ronan, and she recently did the adaptation of Little Women, and then her partner, Noah Baumbach, who made uh, Marriage Story. Like, these are two people that you would never associate with Barbie. So the fact that they're behind it, me, I, I think you're going to get a very witty version of Barbie. Yeah, and like Barbie, like it's... it's <sighs> Everyone's just like, oh, like, why are you making a movie about Barbie with such big stars? It's like, well, clearly there is something to this script that has drawn them into this. It's like, it's a bit of fun. Um, like Ryan Gosling was saying at um, one of his red carpets that he was just like, oh, yeah, I felt really seen in my Ken gear, but I also like really enjoyed it. Like everyone just seems to have had the best fun making this film. So like as much as Barbie is something to that people like make fun of. It's something that you can also have fun with. And that was kind of, you know, the point of a toy. Well, there's so much to look forward to next year. We didn't even get a chance to touch on that. We're finally going to get to see the final part of Dune Part 2. And there's also going to be a Hunger Games prequel. Does anyone really care now at this point that they're going to go back in time for the, the Hunger Games? I just kind of felt that that has just sort of been used up and, and spat out. But no, we're going to get more Hunger Games. Uh, I would imagine if this prequel goes well. Guys, as always, thank you so much uh, for your company. Chris Wasser, Andy McCarroll, Olivia Fahey. Thank you so much. And for you listening, we love movies. We are back next week from eight. For me, Gordon Hayden, we'll chat to you then on Spin.